Joe. Well, it's good to have you back, Ben. It's been quite some time, I think. September, I think the last thing most people remember is you're heading off to England to do some speaking there. So it's your time here, Joe. Go ahead and just give some updates as far as maybe your trip, you know, whether it was fruitful or not, your time there, as well as we'd like to hear uh, just the situation on the border and the ministry taking place. Well, I'll start with the trip to England. You know, I thank uh, all those that were praying for us as we were going to England. I'm no longer in a denomination. And so we were just going in faith. The Lord really blessed that trip because we made some wonderful connections with different churches. For example, we went to a free church of England. Uh, it's a church that is still standing for the faith, e- even though there's a great apostasy going on in the Church of England today. We went to another place by Blackpool. That's also in the northwest of England. I made a good contact there with the Church of England, but it's a Church of England still strong in the faith. Uh, they were both receptive to uh, what we're doing here on the border and are praying for us now. So praise God for that. And then along the way, you know, we drove around England. It was uh, difficult for me uh, readjusting to not just driving on the left side of the road, but having a gear on the uh, stick on the on the left hand and not on the right hand, those sort of things. And so that, that was interesting. But uh, we were able to talk to different individuals, people I'd known before. Uh, people who had done ministry with my father in the Nazarene church over there. Uh, and that was great. And uh, uh, particularly one individual I like to bring to mind, actually a married couple, Paul and Angie Winter. They were very interested in the work. They're doing a work now in Manchester and Bolton. Uh, I'd lived there for a few years as a teenager. They're working with the down and out on the street there. So we immediately connected with them. You know, it's very similar to what we're doing here and Angie Winter has now become a member of our Lighthouse of Holiness Commission, which is great. So we can keep that contact with people over there. Uh, then we went down to the West Country and spoke to three different churches. Uh, one I'd like to call to mind, everywhere we went was receptive, but one I'd like to call to mind, it was an independent Methodist church that th- they were really receptive to the word. It was a 700 year old church that I was preaching in. Im- imagine that. Um, but we made a wonderful connection there uh, that was that, that really went well. So praise God for that. And like I said, we're keeping in touch with folks over there and they're praying for the work. And so we're hoping to go back soon and, and revisit and maybe make some more connections with people. And it's not just about our ministry. I think it's also about the remnant in these last days, those who are still, you know, standing for truth on the inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of god so praise god for that since since our return a couple of things have been happening first of all we've have been given a building for use we rent it, it's it's a fairly large size house for for mexico and it had a big patio which we have since converted into a sanctuary we put a roof over the top so now we're using this house it's strategically located on a main street and in the colonia or colony neighborhood where we've been working but more importantly, we know that the church of God is not physical. It's it's spiritual. It, it's been difficult as of late. Uh, we've had a few disappointments, as you know. Uh, Antonio, Antonio, a lot of you have been praying for him, but he's he still hasn't crossed that line, and he's still struggling with with alcohol and things like that. So keep him in your prayers. We're not seeming to make any advancements yet. 
at the Punto uh, because that's the most important thing to us because that's our calling specifically to is to preach the gospel to those sorts of people. They haven't been coming in yet. And so that's been a bit disappointing for us. Yeah, some, some of the challenges with ministry at the, at the Punto or, or the two Puntos, many of the men are engaged in a lot of great things of darkness. Many of the clients that come to buy the drugs oftentimes don't have a good understanding of, of who Christ is. I remember the last time I was down there visiting you, we were at the second Punto and, and ministering there, and there was a man. And as you gave him the gospel presentation, uh, he rejoicingly said he knows Jesus Christ. This is something I've seen over the years and has really been standing out to me strongly at these places where people come to do many illegal activities and uh, and partake in the things of darkness, uh, in which they'll quote scripture to you, in which they'll profess knowing Jesus Christ. I've seen some who will come and say, uh, Jesus has to forgive me of the sin I'm about to do as they buy their cocaine. Let's delve into this topic a little bit, because with me being up north now, one of the biggest things that is standing out to me is this this accepting of sin. So, for example, if I were to share with somebody up north about maybe one of these men on the border who are doing many horrendous things and yet claim to know Jesus Christ, they would plainly say, well, well no, he, he's not in Christ because there's, there's no fruit. There, he's not repenting. He's not, he's not gaining victory in, in these areas of sin in his life. And yet, in many areas of the United States, there's many socially acceptable sins which get embraced. And then one just simply says, well, God's grace is abundant. I'm, I'm fine. As they continue on this path of rebellion to God and in darkness. What can you share? I guess my intent with this is, is twofold. Number one, to, to speak plainly to those who profess Christ that are continuing in the things of darkness. And secondly, for those who are, are pastors, who are missionaries, who are teachers of the word, those believers who are being about the work of being a witness in their workplace, what can you share as well to, to help sharpen, sharpen their understanding and, and heart in, in this kind of ministry? Well, first of all, the, the first question that you asked, um, we, we strongly believe that we cannot say that somebody is saved simply because they say a prayer. We do not know the heart. You know, the angels may rejoice in heaven, but we cannot be assured ourselves until we see the fruits of salvation, the fruits of salvation. There has to be a miracle that takes place within the human heart. Jesus said in John chapter 8, therefore the Son will make you free and you shall be free indeed. And that is freedom from sin. So those things that once bound them can no longer bind them anymore. You know, they need to be set free. It's then we begin to see for ourselves that a person is truly saved. It's so easy to, and I'm not against saying a prayer with somebody at all. But to, to say that they're saved simply because they say a prayer, that's humanism. That's humanism. It's putting down salvation to man. Salvation is truly a miraculous work of God through Jesus Christ and through his atoning sacrifice for sin. 
it's a it's a miracle that takes place within of a person and we begin to see it without right without this is the significance of every single one of jesus's miracles i believe that there's a spiritual significance to each one right god does god does work within and then you see it without that person that they're transformed right and it's visual to the world so there has to be that change in a person now if you truly believe that ministry can be a very very difficult thing especially when you're working with alcoholics drug addicts criminals who are in so deep you know because it seems like you make one step forward and then two back but we have this man that we're working with at the moment he seems like he goes three months without alcohol and then suddenly one night something happens he gets down he's back on it again and I have to say, when I look at the scriptures, has Jesus Christ really set him free yet? Or is he playing a game here? You know, is he trying to do this in his own efforts? And I want to answer the second question. You know, what can I say to people who are dealing with this, which I think is what you were saying? People, maybe missionaries, maybe, maybe pastors, or even just regular folk in the church who are involved in ministry when they're constantly dealing with people who are not yet showing the signs of salvation, of the true miraculous work of Jesus Christ that has gone on within, because it causes great grief. It causes great grief. You know, I've been studying with our mission in Mexico, the book of Romans, and right now we're in Romans chapter 9. And at the beginning of that chapter, Paul is very transparent. It, he he says that he speaks the truth in Christ and that the, the Holy Spirit or, or his conscience bears him witness in the Holy Spirit. You know, so what Paul is saying is, is, is truth here. And he talks about a continual grief that he has for the Jews. Typically, wherever Paul went, he went to, a, to the synagogue first to preach the gospel to the Jews. The Jews, the, the gospel came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And he constantly, constantly suffered rejection. And so he had a great and a continual grief. And he even said in that passage, and I, I've not gone this far in my grief, to be honest with you. I have to be honest with you. I've not gone as far as Paul has gone in his grief. But Paul said in that chapter, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, separated from Christ, for my brethren, for my countrymen. Imagine the, the grief. I mean, I mean, this is this is a, a serious word. He's using a curse, separated, right? Anathema, uh, uh, as it says in the Spanish, right? Separated from Christ for the sake of his brethren. That's the place to which his grief has brought him. And so, in the Christian faith, when we are looking for conversions, true. Christian, true scriptural conversion, it causes great grief at times. It causes great grief at times. We know that Christ was so grieved that he became a curse because he was crucified on, on a tree. That was uh, He was accursed according to the law, so he became a curse. That's where his grief brought him to. But at the same time, Paul says in verse 6, and I, I love this verse because it gives me hope. 
It says here, but it is not that the word of God has not taken effect, has not taken effect, right? The word of God does take effect. And he says, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, right? We know in Romans that he's speaking here, uh, not just about physical Israel, those those who are uh, literally descendants of Abraham, but also spiritual Israel. Because in Romans chapter two, towards the end of that chapter, he talks uh, about those who have experienced an inward circumcision. That means that sin has been cut off from within within their heart, right? And now they have the ability to love God with all of their heart. That's a spiritual circumcision. Those who've experienced a spiritual circumcision are spiritual Jews. They're truly the children of God. They're truly the children of God, right? And then those who are children of Abraham in in chapter four are those who have been justified by faith, just as their father in the faith, Abraham was justified by faith. That's the spiritual children of God. And I believe this context is now talking about chiefly the spiritual children of God. You know, who are they, the spiritual children of God? The spiritual children of God are those within whom God has done a great work. He has truly saved. You know, it says it says in, in the next verse, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. We know that Abraham had other children right outside of Sarah. OK, with Hagar, he had Ishmael with another wife after his after his wife's death, Sarah's death. He had six more children and he had children with concubines. Paul writes, but in Isaac, your seed, seed shall be called in Isaac. What was the difference between, let's say, Isaac and Ishmael? Ishmael represented trying to bring about the will of God on our own, through our own efforts. Because it wasn't working, let's, let's say, with Sarah. Sarah gave Abraham, her servant, who was Hagar, to have a child with. They were going to do it in their own way, right, in, with their own efforts, right? But God didn't accept Ishmael because he was going to do it in his own way through Sarah, through Sarah. You know, and I think that the birth of Isaac really represents the new birth. Why? Because when God first came to Sarah, remember in Genesis chapter 18, three men approached Abraham and Sarah was in the tent at that time. And she heard the conversation between them. Now, people say that they were two of them were angels and one was the son of God. We're not 100 percent sure about that, but I tend to believe that that the one who was speaking to Abraham was indeed the son of God uh, coming as man here, an appearance of, of Jesus in the Old Testament, let's, let's say. And he gave the promise again, both to Abraham and to Sarah. And he said, is there anything that's too hard for the Lord? Let's, let's look at their situation here, uh, Abraham and Sarah. They were past childbearing age for them birth was impossible it was impossible conception was impossible right it was impossible this is why sarah first laughed when she heard this because it was something that was impossible to her 
But the angel said, or you could say the Son of God said, is anything too impossible for the Lord? This birth that was going to take place was would have to be a work of God. It was a supernatural birth. This is exactly like the new birth, being born again. It's a supernatural thing that man cannot bring about by his own attempts, by his own efforts as they tried to do with Ishmael. It was a miracle of God that would take place. And all children of God, children of the promise, as it says in the next verse, are a miracle that has taken place. To be born again, it's a miracle. It's a work of God. Even the faith, you know, because remember, Sarah at first laughed. She didn't believe. She doubted God's word. That's why she's laughing at this whole thing, because to her it seemed impossible. But it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11, by faith, by faith, Sarah herself also received the strength to conceive, see, right? And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful. Now, at first when she heard, she didn't judge him faithful. She laughed. So what had happened? She, she didn't have that faith within herself to believe in the promise of God. She didn't. And none of us have that faith. We're not born with that faith to believe. You know, when we say whosoever believes, we're not believing with the faith that we had when we were born. We're completely depraved when we're born. So where does that faith come from? That faith comes, as it says in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what happened when Sarah heard that word that was spoken to her, that faith was worked within her, even though she doubted at first, right? Faith was worked within her through the word of God. And when she exercised that faith, she conceived and she would have that child, right? She conceived and she would have that child. And that child would be born. It was a miraculous birth that came through faith, right? Not just the birth was supernatural, but the faith was supernatural in which Sarah believed and had that child. And so when we, we apply this to what we're doing here in the ministry on the border, in the ministry where you're at, is that we need to remember, yes, there are times of grief, right? But we're not bringing about the birth of people. Don't, don't ever get to that place where we think that we're doing that. We preach the word of God, that God has, has given us to preach. And God does the work of faith, and he does the work of the new birth that comes through that faith, that people may be children of the promise. This particular passage, people get sidetracked with this passage all the time. You know, that they think that here God is talking about a people that he had chosen right? Israel. But not all of Israel believed. Not all of Israel believed. In fact, many of them rejected the, the Messiah. That's what caused Paul so much grief and caused Jesus grief too. And the Gentiles received, many of the Gentiles received the message. So Paul is not talking about here a people that he has selected to save and reprobates those who is selected as damned. Not at all. No. He is saying that if you are truly a child of God, you're a child of the promise. You're a child of the promise. God has worked within you. 
his faith through the preaching of the word. That's at our part. We, we preach the word of God, but it's God that works with them in them, the faith. And when that faith is exercised and somebody believes, then they are born again, just as Sarah was given that child within. It was a work of God. And that is a work of God. That was a work of God. Let me just tell you something. This past weekend, I was preaching on this passage and I was thinking to myself at the time, I felt very weak at the time. I thought, Lord, I don't know if the people here are going to get this because this is pretty deep, you know, for them and even for me sometimes. This particular passage, there's lots of different interpretations among Christians, but I just stuck to this and I told them that this is a work of God. You know, if you were truly born again, if you were circumcised, right, a heart, right, if you have believed and, and, and you are justified through faith, through this type of faith, it's a miracle of God. It's a work of God, not of man. You cannot bring this about on your own. It's impossible. You know, you're just like Sarah and Abraham trying to have a, a birth outside the promise of God. It didn't work. It didn't work. It failed and caused much division among them. And I think that's why there's division in the church today, because people are not truly born again. They're not truly born again. There's division in the church because there are those that have come into the church and they haven't come through Jesus Christ. They're not saved by grace through faith. Truly, it's not a miracle of God. It's an attempt of man to play God. You know, pastor, whoever, you know, is listening to this, be encouraged, you know, that when you preach the word of God, you preach the word of God. As I preached the word of God last week, that it's God that does the miracle of faith. It's not us that's trying to bring it about through the preaching of the word of God. It's God that does the miracle with it. It's God that does a miracle. And when I preached that last week, you know, it was amazing. I've had some people sitting in the pews many a times and they came forward and they came to the altar and they prayed a prayer with me. Now, I'm not going to say yet that they're saved, but I believe that doesn't mean even when it, in my grief, right, I still have to believe, right? Our, our grief needs to be of the spirit, not of the flesh. It's not a self-pity. This is a, a grief of the spirit, you know, as Paul said again, you know, it's not because the word of God is not of effect. It's not because of the word of God. We can't blame this upon the word of God. You know, the word of God will work faith in a person. It's whether or not they exercise that faith. When they have it and believe, whosoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. They, they believe as Sarah did. And we could also talk of Rebecca. He goes, he goes on to talk about Rebecca, right? But in the end, we need to remember that this is not a work of man. This is not a work of man. And that, that I don't know about you, but that encourages me that the word of God is still a fact. It's not that God is failing. It's that men are rejecting God. Right, men are rejecting God. It's, it's a great encouragement to be reminded of that we 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 sow the seed in which we're given, or we're given seed by the Lord in which we we cast, and it's His word that goes forth. And oftentimes, there's was well, an epic spiritual battle being waged. I think oftentimes we, I think oftentimes if we could see clearly this battle that is constantly waged around. I believe it, it, it's fierce. You know, a lot of these men that you're witnessing to, that you're preaching to, uh, there's much opposition uh, that can come forth. And and even among the small flock that you have there, the persistence and faithfulness, 
of declaring God's word and leaving that work in, in the hands of God and, and recognizing we're, we're not the ones that are going to create, but rather it's it's a work that the Lord will do. Uh, may we stay faithful and stay out of the way uh, and yet at the same time be grieved. Be, be grieved for those that don't know Christ. Be burdened for those that need to hear the very word of God. Uh, we, we see in Paul's writings Oftentimes, this this very this very heart in, in Second Corinthians, as he pens that letter, it's in anguish and tears and much prayer in which he's addressing these issues of sin and rebellion in, in the very heart with of, of the of the people in the church. And I hope many who are listening can can be encouraged in this very thing. Joe, what would you share with somebody who they're they're like, I I love the Lord, I'm falling in this sin. I'm facing defeat. What would you impart to them? It seems like a lot of that comes. Um, let's be honest with ourselves. Are we feeling sorry for ourselves? That's the trap that we can fall into. You know, if you're getting to the heart of it, what was the cause of that? What, why are you falling? Right. And, and, and I believe that there is a danger here. Even in our grief, we can begin to feel sorry for ourselves and our predicament that God has put us in. And when, when we do that, it becomes a selfish reason, doesn't it? And not what it should be. Yes, we have a grief, but our grief needs to be in the spirit, in the spirit. And Paul gives a perfect example here. He's had the victory in the spirit. He, he is living a sanctified life. You know, we can see that clearly from his testimony again and again. So his, his grief is not self-focused right? He is focused upon souls. He could have never have said what he said about being accursed if his grief was self-focused. It's completely the opposite. You know, he's, he's, he's willing to put himself on the cross, so to speak, not, not as Jesus did, don't get me wrong, but he's willing to be accursed by God for the sake of the Jews. And that's why he still triumphs in his grief. He still triumphs in his grief, whereas opposed to drowning in, in a mire of self-pity, he's not doing that. See, self-pity is a very dangerous thing when we begin to feel sorry for ourselves because it becomes me-focused now and no longer God-focused. I grieve, I should grieve as a brother in Christ because of lost souls, one, or because of the church falling into apostasy that we see so often these days, um, but it can never come, become about me. You know, th these are triumphant words, I think, of Paul. And we need to keep our focus on that once again in verse 6. But it's not that the word of God has taken no effect. It's not that the word of God has taken no effect. We need to keep believing that, believing in the authoritative, in the narrative, you know, in the infallible word of God. That it's not that the word of God, the word of God has not returned void here. You know, if I'm beginning to think that, it's because I'm drowning in, in a cesspool of self-pity. Do you know what I mean? And and it's it's going to destroy me. That's what it will do. It will destroy you because it's self-orientated. And we're no longer focused on the word, but we're focused upon ourselves. Heart, yes, at times we suffer disappointments, and the disappointments can be great and even become discouragements, but they can never become self-focused. Lord, why did you put me here? kind of attitude. I, I've gotten close to that. I, I'll admit that I've gotten close to that. God, why have you put me here? I've been talking to these people for years and they're not listening. But you must keep coming to that, back to that place. But it's not that the word of God. How do I know if that person didn't go on to a church somewhere else and got saved? You know, I, I was reading a testimony of the Prince of Preachers the other day, Charles H. Spurgeon. And when he got saved, 
he, he went to the Methodist church because he was out in, in, in the rain and, and the cold and he, he wanted to, you know, escape the rain. And he just sat at the back. And just a regular old layman was, 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 call, was calling people to salvation. And in that moment, the, the prince of preachers, as they called him, was saved, was saved. Now, that regular layman would have no, never known that. But in that moment, the word of God did its work in that man's heart. And God used him in, in tremendous ways and is still using him today, even though he's dead. But in that one moment, that's that's an incredible thing, isn't it? That is a great encouragement and, and a humble reminder for us as, as we continue to faithfully minister and pursue. And all listening, as, as you pursue what God has for you, may we trust wholeheartedly the word of God and its work that it will bring forth. I know, Joe, there's many continuing to faithfully pray for you. What are a few special petitions you would like to share that they can be bringing before the Lord? Pray for us to remain faithful, you know, in all of this and to keep our focus in the right place. As I've already said, we're, we're human, just like just like you are, you know, and we need that prayer. We, we need God to um, keep working in us, too. You know, he works not only through us, but in us. And you need to remember that. So um, pr pray for that and keep praying for these folks that are coming in. Another thing, we we can't go into great detail about this, but we also received a threat at one of our puntos. So I ask you to pray about that and, and pray for those people that we're ministering to, whether they come to our mission or somebody else's. Just pray that God will do that miracle within them. As, as we speak the word in our poor Spanish, that, that somehow the Lord will do a, a miraculous work in them. Nothing is too hard for him that he has promised. Nothing is too hard for him. And so if you could keep praying for that, you know, pray for Antonio still. Um, pray for those that are coming into the mission. Uh, Luis is one. He, he was a customer at the Punto. Pray for him. He has an addiction to crack. It's a powerful addiction, but our God is more powerful still. So if you keep praying for that, we have a revival coming up. At the end of March, uh, a brother is coming. Uh, to preach a revival. So uh, be praying about that for some of the people, especially to come in from the Puntos, you know, to hear the word of God. So those are some requests. Well, thanks, Joe. We will we'll keep these things in prayer and we'll talk again with you soon. Okay. All right. God bless you, brother. 